Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire and to live that travel-based life. You know, stop trying to fit travel in around the other things. If you love to travel, why don't we flip that script, make travel the thing and kind of build everything else around that. And that's one of the big things that we do here at the show. So if you're new, welcome. If you've been a longtime listener, thank you. And if you haven't gotten in touch, you can always send me a note. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. And I love to hear from listeners. Got a shout out to one of you at the end of the interview portion of this show. And I'm so excited to bring you today's interview. There's a lot we covered. And one of the things I just wanted to talk about quickly is... The power of travel to reshape the questions you ask yourself. This is something that comes up in the interview. Just a little food for thought here, but I am fairly certain if I think back to a long time ago when I first took my trip, the questions I asked myself in my own head that were about my life definitely changed after I traveled. And I've found that the questions you ask yourself are some of the most powerful questions out there, right? Because they shape your new reality. So when you start changing the questions you ask yourself, of course it's going to change or potentially change things that you do, the way you live your life, the choices that you make, just by the simple fact of asking different questions. So how does travel do that? Well, you're going to hear how it it did it for my guest today, Kevin, who wrote a great book, And he's going to talk about that, his experience as an African in India, how that sort of rocked his world and flipped his perspective. We talk about his decision to leave a stable job, what it was like growing up in Ghana and spending part of his childhood there. And of course, along the way, just getting a lot of new, fresh perspectives and ideas around travel, life, all that good stuff that we do here. And I don't want you to wait any longer. I'm going to get into this interview and stick around to the end because he's got a little treat for you to share. And of course, we are going to give a shout out to somebody in this listening community. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you on the other side, my friend. Side, side. 
Well, cool, man. Thanks for reaching out and thanks for taking the time. I did download your book, by the way. I got into it a bit as much as I could over the last few days, but I know we booked this interview pretty quick. Really digging it so far, and I'm recording right now, so I think we should probably just keep the conversation going here. Um, the book I'm talking about is my guest here today, who, who I'm honored to have. It's Kevin Cheeseman, and the book is A Monsoon Diaries, an African in India, and it's on Amazon now, and I'm really excited to talk to you because you have a lot of... You had a lot of different things that you wanted to kind of cover that you mentioned in the email, and I'm really excited to dive in. So let's get into it. Kevin, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. This is awesome. This is the first time I'm doing something like this. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. Really? First first podcast yeah. interview? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, nice. Awesome. It seems like uh, you don't seem nervous or anything, so that's good. Oh, <laughs> you hear it. You hear it in my voice. <laughs> I'm honored that you reached out to me then first. Yeah, there's so many reasons why I want to talk to you because uh, some of the perspectives you offer in the book and just some of the things you're working on, the projects you have in the works, which we're going to get into. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit, of course, as um, I want to do. And you grew up in Ghana. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you live there? Um, I lived there until I was 12 years old. So uh, I was born in uh, early 80s and uh, I lived in Ghana in a little corner called Tafu, which is, uh, I lived on this kind of a, a cocoa research institute. And if you don't know much about Ghana, Ghana is one of the biggest kind of global suppliers of cocoa, the, the thing they make chocolate out of. So I sort of grew up on, a, on an institute that sort of did research into how to make chocolate better, essentially. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good fun. It's good fun. I, I have many childhood stories on, on cocoa farms. Like what? Um, like what's one that sticks out? Oh, uh, man. We, we, I, yeah, when I look back at my childhood, I was a bit of a naughty boy, I'll be honest with you. Like eating uh, a lot of chocolate we, or like breaking windows? No, just... just <laughs> <laughs> so we, That's a pretty big we, definition. We, we, <laughs> we would go on the cocoa farms because we kind of had access to it. And, and cocoa kind of grows in, in the pot. And we would break into the pods and sort of, it's got this sweet covering on a cocoa seed, so we'd kind of just suck the sweet covering off, but just leave half the pod hanging there. So, so when people went back the next day, it's, it's like, you know, mice had been at your, your food or something like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Is, isn't it like the natural inclination for any, any child, almost of any age, if you're growing up near a cocoa farm, to dip into some of that cocoa, right? Of like. Of course, of course. How could you resist? Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it, 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 once you bite into the thing, though, it tastes horrible. <laughs> really? Yeah, it is. When, what, if you bite into the seed, you're, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> so roughly how big population-wise is the town you grew up in? Or the uh, it's very small, really. Um, it's it's more, of a, more of a village. I'd say maybe a couple of thousand um, in, in, that, in that village. Maybe less than a couple of thousand, maybe a thousand, I'd say, after that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really small. Every, everybody there was kind of focused on, on the research and, and, and what was going on, on on the cocoa farms. And then outside of that is kind of the, the main town of commerce, which is kind of the, the capital of the eastern region of, of, of Ghana. And there the population is a bit bigger, maybe in, in, the, in the hundreds of thousands. I'd yeah. say. Did that happen to be where you were? Were your parents there as a part of that? Were they working with Coco? Is that part of the reason why they were there? Yeah, yeah. So my my, my father was a, uh, one of the research scientists um, there. Um, 
And it's kind of where I got my taste for wanting to see the world, really, I think, thinking about it right now, because we had a lot of uh, research scientists come in from Holland and from Canada and from the UK. So at from very early age, I had kind of contact with uh, parts of the world, which most of us didn't kind of know about then at, at that point. Thinking about it now, that's probably where my taste for this thing came from. And I heard this before from other people. Sometimes they grow up in a situation where it, it's like they might, might not be traveling and seeing the world with their family, but the world's coming to them in some way. Sounds like that was the case with you. So why did you guys leave when you were 12? What, what was the... Uh, <laughs> well, so it's, 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 it's a long story. So I'll, I'll cut it short. My, my father... My father passed away, and because um, before before that, in the I don't know, it was 1980-something, <laughs> long time ago, before that, my father and my mother lived in um, Aberdeen in Scotland and, and London, and my mother kind of felt comfortable. And, th- and this is something which is quite interesting, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, an interesting perspective on, on, on the African kind of culture. Um, because my mother spent her kind of 20s in, in Scotland, in London, she, she started to get a different perspective on life, different freedoms and different cultures that sort of um, she preferred in a way, really. So it was a decision. She felt more comfortable um, sort of moving back to, to London, um, which, is, which is kind of what, what we did, really. Yeah. And then did you spend the rest of like your formative years, would you say, there? Exactly, exactly. And I, I sort of see it as uh, having the best of both worlds, you know, because before 12, I was climbing trees and going out into the forest and doing all sorts of things. You know, I grew up in an environment where your your elders could send you to the shop to buy them cigarettes and alcohol, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and then I came, to, I came to London, to the world of um, escalators and playstations and all these kind of things, which blew my mind in, in some kind of way, really. Um, so I had the best of both worlds with that. It was, it was really, really good fun to be able to kind of do all the all the stuff you can do in a forest and go hunting, all these kind of things, and then come to the what was seen as the promised land, I guess, for, for, for many in, uh, <laughs> in in developing countries and, and experience that as well and, and be, be sort of th- thrown into that culture as well. Yeah. It must have been really weird at first, though, right? <laughs> It is, it, it is and it isn't. Um, there were some cultural traits which were a bit a bit weird for me. So visually, it was it was very different. But then, you know, you've seen films and TV and you, you, you kind of know, even if you haven't been to London or places like that, you, you know what they, they, they sort of look like because of films and, and that sort of stuff. So visually, it is a shock in terms of like how pristine everything looks. Um, but th- there's certain quirks, for example, I've got a, a couple of stories which might interest you. So the first time I went to a classroom in London, um, the teacher asked a question and I sort of put my hand up and uh, I got picked to answer the question. And I stood up with hands behind my back because that's what you do in Ghana as a sign of respect. And people were like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> uh, uh, and I was like, you don't do this here? <laughs> what do you yeah, uh, you know, uh, and and things like things like that. And I also remember in, in growing up in Ghana as, as boys, we, we'd walk hand in hand on on the playground, right? It's, it's kind of normal. And then I sort of did that in in London, and there was a massive uproar because it's supposedly gay. And I'm like, what? Really? Oh, okay. It's weird. It's there were some like shocks like that, which which really su- surprised me. Yeah, which uh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's it's so fascinating, and it's uh, it should not be that, of course. Of course, you're taking a normal thing that's normal, quite normal to you, and just moving to a new location and doing that there can yeah. either ruffle feathers or just throw people off. It's it's yeah, you know the playground, you know everything is marked right. Right. <laughs> so right, yeah. Don't feel bad about the class thing. Like I think it was my first or second day in my Norwegian language class. I they asked me to explain Norwegian what I did. My Norwegian was terrible. It still kind of is. Um, and I think I explained, I did explain that I had an internet website about spanking. So <laughs> <laughs> I had, this you have to explain my friend. <laughs> em, I had emphasized the wrong part of the word for traveling. <laughs> yeah. And instead I used the verb to spank. So anyway, uh, it was no wonder that my teacher was like repeatedly like, uh, can you, one more time, one more time, one more time. And like, uh, I never got it right. Is everything okay at home, Jason? Is just, everything okay at home? <laughs> he was just, it's great. Depends on your perspective, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, how old are you now? Can I ask? Uh, 37. Okay. So are there times where you like lean into one background more than another in like a conscious way. I'm always curious when people like you've almost literally split your time in half growing up between two places. So I'm wondering how that, how that impacts you now or how that shapes your personality now. I think I, I sort of, I take, I take the, the best of both worlds to give the cliched answer, but cause you're I a positive you guy. I, yeah, of course. <laughs> I remember, I remember, um, I think some point in my life, I might have been maybe 15 or 16, where I started to dream in English. Before that, all my dreams were, were in Ghanaian. Um, and, then, and then at some point it flipped and, and, and all my dreams beca became sort of in, in English, really, which was quite interesting. Um, but I think I, I, I understand both cultures. And there's parts of both cultures that I, I, I really love. I love the, the, the freedom um, and, and that young people are given. Um, there's, there's a bit of a shorter leash in, in, in sort of, let's say, Western societies, right? Um, when it comes to young people, there's a bit of independence. Um, and, and I love that because I think that that opens up a person to, to explore themselves from, from, from a young age. Um, whereas there, there is a bit of a shorter leash in, 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 in sort of African cultures, both on and off the, uh, the continent. There's, there's, a, there's a real hierarchy in, in how you deal with, with, with your elders and, and those kind of things. And, and even if sometimes the elders are completely in the wrong, you still have to kind of bite your tongue in a certain way so, so you, don't, you don't get that kind of uh, two-way two -way <laughs> debate about, about things. But then I, I, I love... In, in the Ghanaian culture, how people are so friendly to each other in, in the sense that, you know, I live in a block of flats in London and I didn't know my immediate neighbours. That would never happen in, in, in Ghana. Everybody knows everything about everyone and want to know more so they can gossip about it later. <laughs> yeah. um, so I kind of love the, the, the community and the connectivity aspect. Um, but again, saying that, I think when, when you leave the big cities like, like London, maybe that changes a little bit in, in, in smaller smaller villages. But yeah, so there are aspects I like about, about both. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, a couple from Ghana that I see almost every day because I take my kids to Barnahaga, which is uh, like essentially daycare here in Norway. I was actually talking to the mother last week 
it was just one of those crazy mornings with the kids and all, you know, I could see it on her face cause we all have them. So like another parent will just make eye contact and you'll just know like, Oh, they're having a tough morning with their kids or whatever. I, I said, what well, do you like? Do you like it here? Do you like the way the society is here with the Barnhaga and everything? And she said, no, not really. It's actually harder. She said in Ghana that the kids would just, you know, run out the door and would be sort of free. And then like somebody would get them dressed and somebody would, feed them and it's almost like i guess the whole villager area where she was from yeah they would kind of take care of each other like i i didn't know that in that way i mean that's the way she explained it to me anyway that yeah yeah. their kids could run out and like they would get fed they would get dressed like it would just kind of get happen is that how it works it's yeah, yeah, really, and 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 one one of the things is any anyone as a child, if you're doing something naughty, any person, any adult can tell you off and kind of say, hey, don't don't Knock kind of do off. that. They can take like yeah, dad yeah, and you know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it is quite open like that. Then you know that there isn't such a worry about what are my kids doing and like, don't talk to my kid that way. It's like, yeah, no, no, yeah. talk to my kid that way if they're acting up. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So so there's that kind of thing where the community looks after the. The, the, the young people in that sort of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell everybody about the book. It's called Monsoon Diaries. How did this book materialize for you? Essentially, I think I think a lot of a lot of your kind of listeners um, would kind of relate to this. I, I spent my life in, in quite high pressure corporate job uh, designing engines uh, uh, at Ford. And really? it was so, yeah, yeah. It was, You're an uh, engineer. It, yeah, I'm a mechanical engineer by, by, by trade. Um, yeah, I spent a long time in Ford uh, designing engines, doing a lot of research on fuel economy and, and a few other things, which uh, some are good and some are not. But the yeah, the, the corporate world was a bit, I felt a bit uncomfortable then. I couldn't really explain, you know, that the money was good. Um, the job was sort of seen as uh, something quite clever, um, you know, and... But I, I, it wasn't it wasn't really sitting sitting right with me for, for one reason, or another and I think it was because I kind of just went through life you know in, in our culture you, you do as you're told you know you need to go to university you need to study something clever especially if you have a father whose background is like, like the one I've got then you're expected as 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 the son to be as clever you go and get a PhD go go down so you end up following this track which for me, it wasn't really me. That's not where my natural aptitudes lie. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a rascal. I'm a bit of a joker. I don't, I don't, I don't do maths and physics and that kind of stuff. You know, so it was really kind of, and I didn't really know what was happening. It's only now I can I can pinpoint what was happening, um, but then I didn't really know. It was just kind of out of out of sorts, really. Um, so I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna jack this thing in and go traveling. I didn't know anything about traveling before this, really. It was just not even on my radar. Someone mentioned this? something. Um, this was 2010. Yeah, this was 2010. Yeah, and I just kind of went off traveling. Um, but before I went, you know, I, I, I came across the, the book, The Motorcycle Diaries, by um, written by Che Guevara. And I really loved it. I, that, that's really one of the things that made me think, wow, you can... You can go and see the world in this way. You can go off and travel just for the sake of traveling. And I have to kind of take it back because in, in African cultures, we, we do travel a lot. I mean, you know, Ghanaians, for example, we're everywhere. But our main focus on traveling is, is for economic migration and for education. 
So we don't normally kind of travel for, for reasons of backpacking right. or adventure. Yeah, this and, is the and, quote and I was going to pull out. You said, now you have to understand yeah. that backpacking, whilst normal in European or American context, isn't something in common in African households. So that's kind of what you're getting at here, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We we normally go for, and you know, for good reasons too. We normally kind of go for economic migration to try and make some money and, and <laughs> that sort of stuff, really. Um, and it, it wasn't really until I read the motorcycle diaries that I realized, wow, you can you can travel for <laughs> other reasons. Uh, and I went off to India, <laughs> and it really changed my it changed my whole perspective on on life. It it opened up my eyes to, I, I exist, and as I exist, I can ask questions about life, and I can ask myself questions of who I think I am, and, and what I believe about um, all of the, all of the uh, things I've been taught, you know, like, uh, I, I was brought up a Christian, and I was given the Bible, this is the truth, and this is that, and all these kind of things, where I had the chance to step back and go, well, hang, hang on a minute, is this, what do I think about these things? And really, I'm really grateful for for traveling through India to kind of almost yeah, just turn my my perspective around on these things, and I realize that I am a I am a person who can ask these questions and look up at the stars and wonder and and, and give my own uh, inner intuitions on on these things. Really, yeah. And it, it was that's how the book came about. Really, it was kind of traveling through India from from the perspective of a, a rabbit in the headlights type thing, you know, and just writing about all the things I, I came across and, and saw. Yeah. So essentially travel kind of reshaped the questions you ask yourself, which in turn made you kind of rethink everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, before, before traveling life was, you know, I, I, I put it as, um, I, I was a canvas and uh, everything on the canvas had been painted by other people. And traveling gave me the opportunity to step away from all of that and, and question question really what, what I believe, who, who am I? And, and I, I, I like, I think there's a reason that a lot of the surviving um, epics like some of the Greek legends are all to do with travel, you know, things like Jason and his Argonauts and, and all, all those kind of travel stories. I think it, it does something to you as a human being to... To, to face up to a lot of things you believe and to question them and, and put yourself in situations where you, you grow, you grow mentally, spiritually as well. How long were you traveling for? Like how much time did you spend in India? Um, I, originally I was going for 40 days and then I was going to make my way through Asia, the standard route, and then I was going to go to Papua New Guinea, but it, it, I liked it so much I ended up staying for six months. Really. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I just spend my time going from the north of the country to the south of the country, just meeting lots of different people and growing with them and, and learning so much. I knew nothing about India before. In fact, I don't even know why I picked India. I, I don't remember. It just kind of happened, you know. There was a couple of friends I was, I was going to travel with, and they went off to Australia and New Zealand, but for some reason, I was just going to go to India, yeah, and it just changed everything. I was just thinking about this the other day, how... Uh how big decisions really affect not just you, but everybody around you in some way, shape or form, you're going to get a reaction from them, whether it's like sort of they're feigning on interest or they're jealous or they're happy for you and pumped or some combination. Yeah. I mean, this is, this, this, this is going to sound a bit morbid, but 
Luckily for me, both my parents have passed away. Oh, yeah, okay. So in my in my immediate circle, I don't have to ask permission or or, or, or from from anyone. Right. But in in, in in the culture, it, it's an insane thing to do. Why would you leave such a well-paid job, such a, a comfortable situation in, in there? You called it the promised to, land before. I mean, that's like, yeah, you know, that's yeah, exactly. kind of what, when there's the representation of the promised land, it, I, what I imagine yeah. that you meant is that it means you could go there, get like a stable job and earn a really good income yeah. and like yeah. have a good life, right? Yeah. Exactly. And then you exactly. gave that all so, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there, I didn't tell most of my kind of extended family because I wasn't really up for those kind of discussions. It, 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 it was easier to just get up and go do this thing and, and not tell people just because, yeah, there would be. Uh, they were trying to really talk you out about of this. Yeah, yeah, and you should get get married and, you know, have some kids and just. <laughs> Why don't you? Why don't you just pick, get a go to church more? These, these kind of things. Uh, I, I wasn't really. Uh, it's it's difficult to say to somebody who's looking to go to the promised land that you're not happy in the promised land because of the way things are in the promised land. It's difficult to kind of get that across. <laughs> right. It's like be careful what you wish for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it, it's it's if I remember uh, recently hearing uh, Trump saying that uh, he didn't have it easy. His dad only gave him a million dollars to start, and a part of me was like. A million dollars, man! Come on. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but then you know that's 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 to, on his scale. That's nothing, and it, it's kind of the same thing. Where if I say I'm not really enjoying this and that, they, they just wouldn't get it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you kept it a secret. Yeah, or I just didn't tell anyone. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a, it wasn't a conscious choice, but it was kind of like yeah, just avoid that altogether. How did being in India affect your spirituality? Because I, I know that's a place that's very much known for its spiritual nature and mysticism yeah. and all the different things that, that have come out of that country. I, it, it had a huge impact. And I, if growing up, you know, I was sent to church. And to be honest, once we moved to London, my mom would send me and my brother to church and we would just go to the park and then come back two hours later and said, uh, <laughs> we, we've got to talk about forgiveness. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I kind of... Another naughty myself. move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I've I've always I've always had something in me which is which is seeking the, the spiritual. And and one of the things that um, made me kind of delve deep into this and question this was one of the biggest um, symbols of of death and everything bad in especially in African culture is the snake. Right, the, the serpent is a big thing. Everybody's got a huge phobia. And I was kind of walking around India and I'm thinking, how come they're kind of displaying all these deities with snakes and stuff around their necks and that? And, and, and I'm thinking, maybe I should kind of look into, look into what these things would represent, you know? And, and the, the thing that they represented for most, for me anyway, and in my life is, is, is death. And I really sort of started studying, looking into what, what, what other cultures think death is and, and, and what they believe about death. and, and the more I got into it, and just just to go back, part of the reason I left is is I left London to go traveling was also my mum passed away, 
passed away because of the struggles of, of life in that she was living. She had two jobs. Uh, she go from night shift in, into day shift, back into night shift for six days. So just to be able to get the things that others think she should have, you know. And I was kind of, she, she wasn't seeing this, but I was kind of watching this happen. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> and so she kind of passed away in my eyes, a, a, bit, of, a bit of a waste. And, and I was kind of thinking, I, I, really, I really ought to understand it. This, this this death thing really because it, it sort of um, has has a hold on everybody really and there's two conclusions that you can come to um, about death one is that um, it 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 lights out completely and there's nothing after and the other one is that yeah there's there might be something after but the, it doesn't really matter which one of those conclusions you come to because what happens after that if you really consider it is is what's important. If you think it's lights out, the way you live would be completely different. If it's lights out and this is the only life, you would not be taking half the crap that is handed to, 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 to you on a plate today, you know? You would you would go out and and and, and live as you want to live, you know? Um, and if it's not lights that lights out, then you would you would also make the same choices because you would be like, okay, well if it's not lights out, so it doesn't have a hold on me. And I really like this uh, quote, I'm going to paraphrase Plato here, and it says, humanity would be better off educating its children to fear slavery more than they fear death, because it's the thing that has such a massive, it's the way nobody, it's why nobody stands up in any meaningful way, really, to do anything about a lot of the stuff that's in the world, because you, everybody's afraid that something might happen to them. So it's really important, and from a spiritual perspective, to really kind of come to a point on, on an understanding of, of death, and, and change your life accordingly because I think it doesn't really matter which which one you which conclusion you get to you know and this is the deepest kind of spiritual thing I think that India India kind of instilled in me really yeah yeah that was a bit of a lecture sorry no no that was great I mean I, I think there was a lot of profound stuff there the quote you mentioned is interesting because I read a quote yesterday from Lao Tzu, who said, I just pulled it up, it's care about people's approval and you will always be their prisoner. So that's another, you could call it like a, a prison of your own making in some way. I found out about this other resource. There's this website called deathclock.com. It's like pretty okay. So you put in your age and you put in your body mass index, which it helps you calculate. Yeah. And then using like averages, it'll tell you how much time you have to live. <laughs> and it pops up like this countdown clock. And I, I, kept, it, I kept it open for the day. And I was just yeah. like, I don't know if this is, I mean, I know I'm going to die, right? But it's like kind of right in your face. It's like these seconds are ticking down. And I'm like, I don't know if this is like super motivating or terrifying or both. I think it's both, man. It really helped me kind of for that day and like these next couple of days since I did that just kind of refocus on the things that, you know, the work that's most important that I feel like is the most purposeful. He's just kind of constantly questioning, am I spending my time wisely? You know, not just doing the things I want to do, but yeah. It's how, how you want to, how, what brings you joy? What, what contribution that you make to the world that brings you joy? You know, that's, that's kind of important. It's, it's, it's about contribution, but it's also about that contribution elevating you in, in some sort of way, you know. Contemplating death is not, I don't see it as a, as a, a, a doomsday thing. It's because it's a way for you to reshape your life now, you know. So how, how would I like to live? 
and how do I go forward from 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 my life now? It, that's that's more the perspective I'm sort of um, looking at it looking at it from. Really, it, it shapes how you live. Yeah, I want to read the little intro you have on your book on Amazon. It says, there's a new attraction in town. I love this. And it's not Kali. Of all the travelers in Varanasi, is that how I pronounce that city? Yeah, yeah, correct. In all, of all the travelers in Varanasi, one face sticks out. It's Kevin's face. The black man with a backpack. Love, friendship, laughs, drugs, and encounter with gunmen and casual racism. Follow the journey of young African as he uh, traverses the Indian continent following the death of his mother. Strap in. So, um, a lot there's a lot here <laughs> talk about talk about standing out as as you say oh, as a black man with a backpack in uh in yeah. india what is what does that mean to travel through india as you it's it's um it is interesting it's interesting because uh, not so in the big cities like delhi delhi or mumbai generally cities are used to a bit of kind of cosmopolitanism and that sort of but, but, but as you go off the the beaten track, there are places where people haven't seen a black man ever. <laughs> Maybe on television, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, on television, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm from kind of sub-Saharan Africa, so my skin is, my complexion is, is quite dark. And in, in India, there's, there's, uh, there's a little bit of something underneath what people normally see in, in, a, in a hierarchical system where the, the, the sort of darker your skin is, the the, the, the worse off you are in a way, the, the worse you're treated. Um, and I think lots of people have, um, when you get off the beaten tracks, the various different stereotypes of, of what, you know, <laughs> African people are like, we're supposed to be. And even still in, in deepest darkest India, we're supposed to be living in trees and all these kind of things, you know. And, and so, yeah, I stood out like a sore thumb. If I stopped for one second at a train station to look at a map, I look up and there would be 20 to 50 people surrounding me. And the interesting thing is they would say nothing to me and they'll be postulating what I am. Some people you eat here like South Africa or <laughs> Africa. This is it's really, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I stood out like a sore thumb. And in some places it was really nice. It was out of genuine, pure curiosity because nobody's seen uh, a, a black man before in deepest, darkest India. Um, so it's just out of plain curiosity. In some places it was a little bit kind of more, more kind of... Uh, <laughs> sinister than that in a sense, you know, where I had various comments and, yeah. And what it did for me, though, is it, it sort of, it, it, it brought this up in me because I, I sort of believe that, you know, you, you, what your eyes see is generally a large proportion of it is related to how you think. So at some level, I must be thinking some of these things, you know, of, of, of myself. So, and, and I started to sort of think, I remember back in, in in Ghana where the ladies, some of the ladies would be using um, skin bleaching soaps to make their skin lighter just because if your skin was lighter, then for some reason you are, uh, I don't know, better. That's, that's the, uh, however harsh that sounds, that's, that's the belief, you know. Um, and and a part of me maybe is holding this belief and it's been reflected out in, 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 in what I'm seeing, you know. And then you get people saying, oh, why don't you go and use some skin bleaching cream? Or some person said, oh, I'm better than you because I'm lighter than you, and all these kind of things. So there was a bit of a lot of stuff to emotionally to, to work through for me. You know, at one point, I hated India <laughs> because of that. 
But then on the other side, it also brought me lots of joy and, and a lot of kind of spiritual awakening. But there was a kind of a lot to a lot to work through there, where for for a, a good month period, it became the kind of dominating thing in my in my travel, where I was a bit scared to go out and be seen because it was just too much, you know. On, like from, every from, day from as you're sides. stepping out the door, it's like, oh, what's going to happen uh, today? Yeah, this is exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was that was a very 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 interesting aspect um, mm. for me, <laughs> which uh, and, and you know in some places, whereas I guess I don't know, like in Queen Victoria's time, it would have been it would have been I guess the, the white people who were kind of the attraction in India. There's so many white people in India that <laughs> it just kind of blends in, right? Uh, so in some places, it's just out of sheer curiosity, but in other places, it was kind of a bit more more. More, more, more as a form of attack, in a way. Well, yeah. What was the uh, casual racism you referenced in the um, in the description? Oh, uh, just it. Uh, I remember I, w- I was this. This was especially kind of heavy in Varanasi. I found, you know, I would be go. I would go to a shop and people wouldn't wouldn't sell me stuff because they go, "No, you, you, you black man, no." And and, and this, yeah, yeah. And then this this guy who. Um, uh, I was I was trying to book a, a boat trip across the, the the Ganga River, and he was like, "You, I'm better than you because my skin better than you." I'm like, "Whoa, man!" <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was. But you how know, do you, it's not. How do you deal with that stuff? Uh, and what kind of advice do you give oh. others who may find uh, similar challenges? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. For me, I I use a few kind of methods of myself to kind of. Uh, uh, behind closed doors to kind of work through these emotions, things like, I don't know if you heard of emotional freedom technique, they call it kind of tap, tapping. Um, you kind of tap on acupressure points in your body and do a bit of talk therapy with yourself and it brings up lots of kind of beliefs that you hold about yourself and and you're able to, to work through them to work out where you picked up that belief or to release anger and, and to, in, the, in a way to turn those things into Forgiveness, really, into into because these people show up to uh, to show you an example of what you you don't want to be, what you are not, you know. So you can see it from that perspective and say, okay, you're a bastard, but you showed me what I don't want to be, and that this is not how I want to be. So from that, I, you know, thank you for that, and I can forgive you. But that, you know, it can take weeks of real but in in the moment it depends on your character really for me i i i i retreat inwards because i don't like any kind of disharmony and then i work i write about it later but other people might approach it differently i think you know you can you can just <laughs> strike while the while the iron is hot i guess and just put an end to it by saying something back but I, yeah it, it really depends for me i work through it using a few psychological techniques and, and that sort of stuff yeah, which see, but you kind of had to develop that for yourself, it sounds like you had to figure out the best way that you were going to deal with it as an individual. Yeah. And that's that's a great thing that came out of it because now I have these tools to deal with all the other issues that pop up in my life, you know. Right. And I have to say, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have this tool. You know? Right. Yeah, I mean, that in itself is a great piece of advice, I think, because like even if it, you can't say, okay, well, you just do X, Y, Z and everything's going to be fine because everybody's feeling yeah. going to feel emotionally different in that situation, yeah. uh, which I can't imagine. It breaks my heart to hear, but that's the reality of, you know, these places, some of these yeah. places and the world we live in, unfortunately. I mean, what you're saying, it sounds like kind of like instead of just 
having like the haphazard reaction every time based on your mood or whatever. It's, it's more being more sort of conscious about figuring out how you're going to deal with these things and process them and then kind of creating your own system for that. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. I just want to make sure I'm getting the advice you're giving right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's how, how, have your own, you know, tools and there, there's lots of tools out there that can help you sort of deal with these type of distresses and, and these, this kind of PTSD and all these kind of, these kind of things, you know, um, that, so have, have a way in which you do with that to resolve it and to turn that into a positive outlook. You know, it's a bit of a cliche, but there's always, there's always uh, something positive in, 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 in everything that, that happens if you're willing to look for it, but also feel the anger because this feeling through the anger that gets you to the other side, you know, so that it's not about suppressing it. It's about feeling it and working through it with, with tools, like I say, like, like EFT, which I find really helpful um, to kind of get to the other side and see what you have learned from it, you know? Yeah. Is there a website that, um, for that specific technique that uh, you recommend um, or a resource or something? Yeah. I, yeah, I think if, if people Google, I think uh, it's called the tapping solution. If people just Google the, the ta- tapping solution, it's a real, I can I can really vouch for that. My my wife is a kind of a practitioner in this, and she's the one that kind of introduced me to this t- 10 years ago. And it really helps me to work through a lot of my, my emotional distress and, and find some, uh, release the charge from it and be able to see the learnings in, in, in things that happened to me. Yeah. And she's Indian, so did you meet her on this trip? No, no. This is another story, James. Okay. Well, I need to hear that one. <laughs> we 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 met in 2009 uh, because we uh, on in Nepal on the Annapurna circuit. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, we we sort of met then, and we, we got to know each other. And there was I had like a five year wooing process on 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 uh, <laughs> on my part. <laughs> it's the probably down in record as, as the as the longest wooing process in uh, in <laughs> in the world really it, and like, i tell what you, do you mean actually, in what way like you just kept in touch and trying to kind kept of kept in touch yeah like you, you wanted to in... see if you could get together with her and you just kept staying on the radar kind of thing or yeah but also we we were experiencing the same type of anxieties and growth you know being from uh both from cultures where you're expected to do certain things um, and and having a bit of a, a resistance against that because it goes against how you feel on the inside. So we, we were having a similar kind of growth um, trajectory. So we had a lot of in deep conversations about this and, and built a kind of a deep friendship um, from that over over a number of years through a, a series of different countries, uh, <laughs> Thailand, India, yeah. Uh, and so we sort of, and one thing you mentioned, actually, just to take something back, you mentioned on your other podcast, you, you like the the, the autumn colors that you get, you know, with the, with the different colors in the, in the leaves. And that that was my final move, Jason. I uh, I sent her a gift and I went and collected all these different autumn leaves that showed the, the colors of the rainbow. And that, oh, was, that was the man. <laughs> You are, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So that, yeah, that we, was we, the that was the final woo that won her over. Is that that was the final? I I, th- I think I won her over on day one, to be honest. But we'll say that was the final woo. 
<laughs> and where was she living? Uh, well, I mean, were you guys living in the same area? No, no. We were, she, I was in London. She was in New Zealand. And then I went oh, to my. India. And then she, yeah. And then, and then she was in New Zealand. And I came back to London. And then she went to India. So I went to meet her in India. And then she stayed in India for a bit. And then she went to Thailand and okay. teach in Thailand. I went to meet her in Thailand for a little bit. <laughs> and then we came back to live in London. And then we went to live in New Zealand. And then... This time last year, New Zealand was not happening for us, so we set off not knowing where we're going or what we're going to do. And a year later, we ended up living in Portugal in, in, in a little known village called Caramulo in the mountains. Is that <laughs> where you are now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. Live in, you're living in Portugal now? Yeah, yeah. And this is home for us now. This is kind oh, of, oh, you have like an apartment right. there. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it really kind of, it's been a long time coming, but it, it, it feels, it feels, it feels right. That's a wild story, crisscrossing the world. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I got an email from uh, a listener the other day and he was saying, I think the subject line was like, help. And it was like, he had traveled to Japan and he was trying to figure out, you know, this whole, like, he met this woman and he's in love and he wants to like figure it out, but he doesn't really know how to do it. And uh, he was asking my advice because I'm married to Norwegian. I came to another country, all this stuff. And I said, uh, man, I got five words for you. One step at a time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all you can do, right? You, you just have to kind of right. make, I said, make the plan to see her the next time and yeah. go from there, you know? Um, exactly. You can't exactly. think all, through all these things. You left your engineering job. You went on this trip. Now, all this crisscrossing, bouncing around, what have you been doing? Have you been working in different places? Have you been working online? I mean, I know you wrote this book, but I mean, what's been, what have you been up to the last, uh, this was in 2010, you went to India, so like, what have you been up to the last nine years? Oh, wow, yeah, so part of the India trip, it, uh, it did something to me where I wanted to, to change things in the world, as most of us want to do. So I discovered something called a social enterprise, um, so from 2012 to 2016, I was still working bits of Ford in different places, but my main focus was uh, doing the social enterprise where we got um, products, health foods like spirulina and neem and wheatgrass from um, India and parts of Africa in Burkina Faso, um, sold it in the UK and then kind of used the profits to, to support various um, projects in, in India. Um, so that that run for that run for six years, um, and then I had to kind of wind it down because uh, it, it it didn't it didn't work out. Not not everything works out yeah. in, in life. Yeah. Um, you had a good run. I mean, so it worked worked for a while. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It was it, it was really yeah. It was really good. It was to, just because to, I really believe in social enterprise, and that, that's why I mentioned to you. You know, like thirty percent of the proceeds from all my books is going to go and to, to fund another social enterprise uh, to do with providing opportunities for um, underrepresented people to go backpacking, just to go backpacking for, you know, you, you don't you don't have to work your way through Maslow's Triangle step by step. <laughs> you can experience parts of it, you know. And Yeah, I, I want to I want to talk about this of, next. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I will come back to that. Okay. So I've been doing some social enterprises, but I've been lucky in the sense that because uh, myself being my wife are of the same mindset, you know, we, we had a time where I, I, I took the corporate pain and then she retrained as a counselor um, and, and working in, in, in EFT. Um, and, and now she's sort of set, setting up in that and set up, well set up in that in Portugal. So now sort of my turn and my passion really is, is social enterprise and, 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 and writing really. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a, <laughs> a, a, 
a schooled writer, but I enjoyed storytelling, which is, I think, is, is all you need, really, if you enjoy storytelling. So I'm, uh, right. I've been really enjoying your book so far. Uh, I, I wish nice. I had finished it before nice. the interview, but um, yeah, so don't sell yourself short there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm getting into writing, right? I'm, and I'm really combining my two, my two passions now, which is social enterprise and uh, storytelling. Um, so I've got, a, I've got a, a couple of books out there, and um, I'm going to be using the, the 30% of the, what I make from those books to, to put into a social enterprise to, to provide an opportunity for people to go backpacking and to hopefully have some of the experiences that, 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 that I had or an opportunity. To, to grow themselves, you know. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing. I've been doing various kind of freelance gigs of writing CVs for people and, and those kind of things, but also kind of building up my, my own website and, and marketing 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 my books. Yeah, cool. Okay, so this yeah. is um, and what you're referring to is this Pack Back Society. From what you told me in the email and what you just said, it sounds like you're yes, you're wanting to promote travel and help people travel and, and promote it to um. I guess areas of the world where it's not a common thing. I mean, just, yeah, just yeah, explain. You're yeah. here, so you explain a little more about your, <laughs> your vision. And it sounds like yeah. people can support it right now just by buying your books if they're interested the in your story, yeah. right? Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's it's early days yet, I, I have to say. Um, but the, the idea is that uh, we provide almost backpacking scholarships to, 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 to everybody really. But uh, in, in the first instance, we, we want to focus on um, people who are underrepresented on the backpacking scene. So, you know, uh, especially people from African Asian background, um, both on and off the, the, the continent. Um, and it's to really, is to, is to get people off the beaten track and insert them if they want to into a different part of the world to observe other cultures and, and to see how life is in other places and really to come to the conclusion that most of us come to when we travel, which is that we're all the same, really, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and also to remove people from, like you say, we were saying before, from their physical location into another place so they can jot questions in themselves, you know, and it's, it's one thing to read um, Plato and, and take it as gospel, but it's, it's another thing to experience the things that is in there and form your own conclusions about life. And then if you read it somewhere, it's, you know, it's confirming what you've already intuited. And it's, it's, to, it's to really get people like what I used to be out there into the world through backpacking to, to grow and have fun doing so. So we would we would kind of um, work out various assignments for, for for people to get them off the beaten track and you know ask questions like you know what, what's the political system here and in, in this new place that I'm in and how does it compare to where I am what are the social norms here how does it compare what's what's the same what what can I learn from it um, how can I grow from 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 what I've learned from this group of people. You know, th those kind of things. And, and also things like, how do these group of people believe the universe started? It's a big question, but it's nice to understand how people are thinking. And, and, and really, you, you, it, it gets rid of all the stereotypes. You know, traveling in India, people would meet me and they'd be like, yo, 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 because they assume that's how I talk, you know, <laughs> because that's what hip hop on television does, you know. But until you meet the person, you're kind of like, ah, okay. And then... It brings us all together and breaks down the, the barriers. And you don't have to be rich to, to, to do this. And this is what the Packback Society is wanting to do is to say, you know what, this is a fun thing to do. And yes, there might be other things like 
poverty and things out there. But this is also an important aspect of, of life to, to, to break down stereotypes and barriers. So, so why not? Why not? Yeah. That's a beautiful intention, man. I wish you the best of luck with it. And, Thank um, you. What about Portugal makes it feel like home? It just felt, you know, like uh, because of some of my travel experiences, you know, and I'm, I'm, I am working through them. I, when I go to a new place, I, I kind of I'm a little bit tense because I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? I don't know what to expect. I, I really love going to new places, but I always go with this thing. And when I step through. I think a lot of travelers Portugal, feel that, you know? Yeah. yeah you don't know yeah. what's going to happen. Exactly. But that's part of the excitement. And right. it's not really, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's you know, there's, I read something recently which says the difference between excitement and fear is breathing. So the chemistry of the two emotions are exactly the same. It's just with excitement, you breathe, you breathe, yeah, you know. That's really interesting. <laughs> so this feeling, yeah, this feeling is, is excitement. But the minute I stepped foot in Portugal, I didn't have this. I didn't have that. It was, it was, it just felt at home, really. And it's, it's interesting. A lot of European countries would tell you they have the best bread, the best cheese, the best wine, the best olive oil, right? Everyone tells you this. Portugal doesn't say it, but they actually do have the best right. the best of all those things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. And I, I think what I like about Portugal, I, I, see, I see it this way. So take America, for example. They would, America would be like a teenager, a late teenager in terms of... Uh, growth of the country and, and how long the country has been around, you know. So at that time, the backs are up and they're proving themselves as, you know, the alpha type thing. Portugal was doing that five, six hundred years ago. They've been through it. They're, they're like a, a 90-year-old grandma. They're chill. They're, they're relaxed, you know. <laughs> so they, 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 everything is just chill. <laughs> there's no, there's no, they're used to, they're used to the world. And I, I really feel that. I really feel that in, in Portugal. They've been there, done that, and chilled. <laughs> With everything that you've done and you know, leaving the sort of the promised land, I'm using air quotes, corporate world behind and all that, <laughs> all the traveling, I mean, this wild ride you've had in your life, uh, what are you most proud of so far? Um, that's a very good question. I think it's um, having uh, the courage time and time again to say, you know what, this is not working for me. Um, so living in London, living in New Zealand was the same for, for both myself and my wife. And having courage saying, this is not working for me. This is not the type of life that I want to live. And I don't know what's on the other side, but I can't stay here. So I'm just going to take the step. And and that's happened on a massive scale. And we've been, we've been separately and together been moving around for the last 10 years and each time it's kind of it's kind of been that it's like you don't know what's on the other side of the step but I'm going to take it anyway because I feel so strongly about about it and it's is that's what I'm most proud of is being able to just get up and go and and know that whatever happens will happen <laughs> but I'm going to take you know, same with leaving New Zealand to come with, to Portugal, uh, going to India, leaving Ford, starting a social enterprise. It's always you have a bit of apprehension, but uh, whenever the steps been taken, it's been joyful. There's been some pains along the way, but it's been predominantly joyful, and I, I and I, I like that. It's really just having that's what I'm most proud of, just being able to kind of go right, okay, let's do this without uh, letting the chatter get in the way, you know. One would think that it would get easier, right? 
Like, it's just like, well, I've done, I've made big changes like multiple times, but yet every time it's still, like you said, the chatter and all this stuff. So, I mean, I just kind of wanted to bring that up because anybody listening right now, if they're going through things like that, you know, hey, listen, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, really. And it, like you say, you're right. It doesn't matter how many times you take these steps. It's the, the apprehension is, is, is the same, but it, is, it, it always pays in one way or another to, to take the step. You're feeling this feeling because you need to take the step. And the worst thing you can do is to, is to ignore that based on some, some fears, which most of the time are not real. You yeah, know? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, congratulations on everything you have going on. And of course, um, yeah, if you want to share your either website or book or whatever you kind of want to mention here, go for it. Sure. I mean, yeah, uh, I guess the, the book, uh, there's a couple of books, but the one I think people enjoy the most is, uh, in, in this community is Monsoon Diaries, um, an African in India. And it's sort of, um, it's on Amazon. Um, but if, if you go to kevinkcheesman.com, uh, there's, there's all the information there on, on the books and also on, on the Packback society uh, yeah and actually i don't know when this podcast goes out but if if you, if you let me know maybe the, the day after i i'll switch i'll switch the kindle book to to free so people can people can, can have it um yeah if, if you can let me know that then the day after the podcast goes out i'll, I'll make the, the book free for one day for for on kindle okay um, oh that's very to, kind uh, all right cool well let's definitely let you know and uh man i am so honored that uh this was your first interview type thing like this, and then I got to do it. <laughs> it was a blast, man. The only, my only regret is that we couldn't do it in person, so I could give you like a high five and a big bear hug right now. <laughs> one day, one day. One day, yeah, man. So I really, truly appreciate your time and for sharing your story. Thanks so much for all you've shared today, Kevin, and uh, congrats on everything, and I hope that we can stay in touch. Yes, for sure. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate you know you you kind of giving me this opportunity because it's awesome. I I love what you're doing and the resources on your website, man. If I just come across this website five years ago, but <laughs> all of the kind of the about digital nomad stuff, there's so much resource on there. I don't know how you find the time to do it. Well, I don't. I don't usually find the time, but I try. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for the kind words, and we'll uh, we'll chat soon. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jason. Take it easy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. There you have it. Kevin, such a cool guy. What a just sweet soul and spirit. I loved hanging out with him, getting to chat. I really do hope we get to meet up in person at some point. And he was generous enough, as he mentioned at the end of the show, to actually make his book for free for you on Kindle, on the Amazon Kindle platform. So if you just search for the Monsoon Diaries, an African in India, the time this podcast publishes, it will be available for 48 hours for you to grab. So enjoy that. And thanks again to Kevin for stopping by and sharing his perspectives and his story on the show. Again, just had so much fun chatting with him. Now, it's time to give a shout out to one of you lovely souls in the Zero to Travel listening community, Tessa. She wrote me an email, said, I am new to the podcast world, but I'm really enjoying finding more and more families like ours. We are an Alaskan family of five who enjoy traveling together, seeing amazing things this country has to offer. 
goes on to say, went on our first big road trip in 2011, 2012. And in 2019, they set out on a five-month road trip beginning in Denver, driving to Missouri, Florida, and to Niagara Falls, Wyoming, and then driving home all the way to Alaska. Now in 2020, we're currently on our third road trip, this time for three months, traveling from Florida to California. Thank you for encouraging more families to travel. It is so important. And she says, quote, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So I'm glad that you're getting some motivation. Hey, listen, whether you've got kids in tow or you want to travel on your own and you're tired of waiting for somebody else to travel, go do it on your own. You want to travel with your spouse, your friend, whatever. Get out there and do it. No need to wait, right? Like she quotes in the end. I don't know if she's quoting me or somebody else. But she said, you can always make more money, can't always make more time. And sometimes you can do both. You can make more money and more time. So uh, I just want to say congrats to uh, Tessa. Sounds like she's really enjoying getting out there with her family and taking road trips. One of my favorite ways to travel. I should be doing some more road trip episodes coming up. What do you think? Huh? I love a good old-fashioned road trip. It's been a while since I've hit the road, actually, in a road trip type format. And funny enough, I am planning a road trip with my family. <laughs> I got a little ambitious in the beginning. I'm going to be out in Portland, Oregon this summer and thought maybe we would drive down to San Diego and visit some family. And I realized quickly it's going to be a bit much with my kids in the car for the amount of time we have. So we're just going to road trip it around Oregon and... I think we're going to have a blast. So I'm looking forward to that road trip this summer. What kind of travel plans you got going on? What are you up to? Who are you? Well, say hi. If you're listening to this show and you haven't, drop me a line anytime, Jason at ZeroToTravel.com. You can always sign up over at ZeroToTravel.com as well to get on our email list so you don't miss any of the good stuff that's happening off the podcast. And we're giving away a free audio series there right now and always doing some cool stuff and meetups online and things like that. So plug into the community there, zerototravel.com. You can go ahead and sign up. And just wanted to mention that before I let you go, I'm also going to leave you with a quote. This one from Eugene Ionesco, and it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this show. The questions you ask yourself, how they can reshape or reform your reality. You heard us talk about it in the show during our conversation. And I thought this was a great quote to finish off with. He said, it is not the answer that enlightens, but the question. I like that quote because the question does lead you down a track. So ask yourself the right questions. I'm going to do the same. I'm going to try to do the same. What are the right questions? Who knows? Who knows? But sometimes it's good. The question, the questions themselves, right? Question everything even the questions you ask yourself and then change those questions and play with them and see what turns out. Maybe write yourself a new list of questions that you've never asked yourself before and answer them or not or just ponder them. I don't know. This is uh, fascinating what's going on in our heads, right? I, I, I'm always amazed at how just by changing the things you ask yourself, you can completely change the way you approach a new problem or the way you solve a current problem or numerous other things. So anyway, there you go. That's my uh, soapbox rant for the day. I will let you now go about your day, and I will see you next week, my friend. Thank you so much for listening, for tuning in, being a part of this community. Peace and love. Take care. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.